Good morning, GBC. It's the most people I've seen in this room in, I don't know, months. We're glad you are here. Welcome. Welcome to our first somewhat normal service. Warden, good to see you. Wardens, we're glad you guys are here. And thank you for your patience these last few months as we, alongside everybody else in the world, continues to figure out how to thrive in this space of uncertainty, which is the perfect segue into that commercial video you just saw. We are so excited to be able to host the Global Leadership Summit this year. And yes, we want you, each and every one of you, to be a part of that. You know, last year we had the privilege of taking a handful of our community leaders up to another host site in Orlando. Uh, we took our sheriff, a police chief, uh, a couple different CEOs, our tax collector, their wives. We wanted them to experience some of the best leadership content we've ever experienced as pastors and as leaders ourselves. With every intention of bringing it here to Highlands County. And we are so excited. We have numerous organizations and community leaders that have already purchased tables that are going to come here Thursday and Friday, August 6th and 7th. And perhaps the most exciting part for us is that we're going to have all of these leaders in one room networking together, hearing the same powerful leadership principles and truths, because we really do want to see leadership rise and the credibility of the leadership in the Heartland region just explode. And who doesn't need some help leading in a season like this? Okay, commercial over, but we have a, we have a landing page on our website, gbc.life slash gls. There's a special discounted price for GBC folks. And if you just want to come and serve and volunteer, guess what? You're going to be able to hang out for both of those two days, and we need smiling faces. Okay, now commercial really over. Happy Independence Weekend. We celebrate living in the freest country in the world. We celebrate living in the most prosperous country in the world. And we continue to pray and work towards it becoming the greatest country in the world. For everyone who calls it home. Pray with me. Father, we thank you and celebrate the victory. We do see a victory. Um, not just victory over tyranny 200 plus years ago for our country. Uh, but as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we celebrate uh, the true and greater freedom that we have from sin, slavery, and the grave. And we pray, Father God, that everyone in this room and engaged online this morning would know the true liberation and freedom that is ours because Christ lived, Christ died, and Christ rose again. Give us ears to hear this morning as we open up your word. Speak to us, speak through me. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, did I introduce myself? I'm Cameron, hi. In case we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, everything's out of sorts these days. And listen, I'm going to need some grace from you this morning. Uh, like Dustin said a couple of weeks ago when he first got back up here after months of staring at computer screens and cameras, I I'm a little rusty as well. I need to remember how to do this here preaching thing. So I'm going to need some grace from you. Uh, open your Bibles. First Peter. Last week we thought we finished our series walking through 1 Peter chapter 1, healing through the hard stuff. And then we realized, hey, we're still in the middle of some hard stuff. And Peter still has some more to say to us. So let's just keep hanging out in the letter of 1 Peter. But let's call it enduring through the hard stuff. Endurance. It's a, it's a biblical word that means to remain under. To remain under, to bear up under the weight of affliction and adversity and suffering and hardship. We have some enduring to do in these days. And if you remember, the recipients of Peter's letter, they were Christians 
who had been scattered because of intense persecution in the first century. He titles it to those who are exiles in a bunch of different places, a bunch of different cities because they had been scattered due to persecution, really primarily at the hands of Nero, the Roman emperor at the time. Nero wasn't, he was addicted to himself. Let's put it like that. And as is usual in narcissistic fashion, he succeeded in significantly burning down portions of Rome and then pointing the finger at the Christians. And that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. There was intense persecution, but that that wasn't the only kind of persecution the Christians in the first century in Rome were dealing with. It it was not uncommon for Nero to sow half-eaten animal carcasses onto Christians and throw them in the Colosseum and let his dogs be sick after them. We have historical evidence of Nero lighting Christians on fire to light and illuminate his garden pathways. The man was twisted. And so these Christians of the first century, they were enduring intense persecution, intense dark days. And Peter had a word of encouragement for them. He's got a word of encouragement for us as well. And it's why he calls them in that very first verse of the first chapter, he calls them exiles. Exiles. Your translation may call them sojourners or pilgrims or strangers or foreigners or aliens. Whatever word you fancy, the point was clear. Peter was reminding them this is not home. This is not our ultimate destination. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Do not lose sight on that which is coming, a new heaven and a new earth. And Peter's got the same encouragement for us this morning as well. We are to live, for those of you hanging out with us on Wednesday night, me and Dustin, 8 o'clock on Facebook, we are called to be above-the-line people who are called to live out faithful lives here below the line. These Christians needed to be reminded in the first century that this intense season of their lives, that it would not get the final word. And we need the same encouragement, though we may not be experiencing the same intensity and persecution. Dear Christ follower, this intense season you're experiencing in this season of 2020, what else is 2020 going to throw at us? Where'd the murder hornets go? How do they fit into the plot, right? We need to be reminded, too, that this intense season will not get the final word for those of us who are in Christ. Our God gets the final word. Word And so Peter has some encouraging words for them. But you know what? He doesn't just call them exiles. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. He calls them elect exiles. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of give us a running commentary of all of chapter 1 so that we can finally get over to chapter 2 where we're going to hang out this morning. In chapter 1, verse 1, Peter doesn't just call them exiles. He calls them elect exiles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect exiles. Don't get lost on that word elect. It means simply chosen by God. Chosen by God. And not just chosen by God, but also also we see here what God's purposes were for these elect exiles in the world. What are God's purposes for these Christ followers? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse Two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his 
blood. Wow, I just saw that. Do you see the triune God here, Father, Son, and Spirit at work? in identifying the purposes of God for us as elect exiles. And what's the purpose, verse 2? That we would be sanctified through the Spirit of God so that we might walk in obedience to Jesus. Dustin's been talking about this idea of sanctification for the last couple of weeks. It comes from the Greek word hagios. It means to be set apart, to be made distinct. I've shared this before. In the first century context, a Jewish person would have two clay pots. One filled with water for washing dishes and hands and one for pee-pee. And you didn't want to mix up the pots, right? They were distinct. They were sanctified. They were set apart for distinct purposes, and you did not want to mix them up. And so Peter is saying, hey, listen, God's purposes in your life in the midst of suffering and persecution is that you would be sanctified through the Holy Spirit, that you would be set apart by God and for God, so that you might walk in obedience to Jesus, patterning your life after him, following close behind him, and coming to a place where you not only confess him as Lord, but you receive his life and you learn by grace through faith to give expression to his life. And then Peter introduces some really great news throughout the rest of this chapter. In verse 3 and in verse 23, he kind of bookends the entire chapter with this idea of being born again. Verse 3, he speaks of being born again. Verse 23, he speaks of being born again. Look at verse 3 with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord. Now jump to the end of the chapter, verse 22. He brackets this entire chapter, verse 22, right there in the middle. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And if you're wondering if that's possible for you, yes, it is. How do you know? Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, Not of the stuff that fades away and wastes away, but that which is imperishable. The stuff that doesn't fade, the stuff that is eternal and everlasting. And this is done through the living and abiding word of God. And there's so much more. Between verses 3 and 23, we don't have time for it all. But gosh, we have received an inheritance that is guarded in heaven where it is also undefiled and unfading. Verse 4, we find in 15 and 14 that we are also being made holy to look more like Jesus. Verse 18, we find that we have been ransomed and redeemed, not with silver and gold, but with the precious and priceless blood of Jesus Christ. If you're struggling in these days, camp out in the first chapter of 1 Peter. There is good, good news for us here. We have been born again. Chapter 2, verse 1, so how he starts it. Not so, but so. In light of this good news, live out your identity in Christ. As holy and redeemed and qualified and ransomed ones, pour out your life into the things that matter most. What matters most? Chapter 1, verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
Listen, all the other stuff clamoring for our attention and affection in these days, ultimately they don't last. And to drive that point home, look at what Peter says in verse 24 and 25. He brings Isaiah the prophet up and he says in verse 24, For all flesh is like grass and its glory fades away like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What matters most in these days, folks? Loving people earnestly from a pure heart and loving the word of the Lord which remains forever. Ever. This is the word that was preached to us, loving God and loving people. Everything else, as important and as worthwhile as they seem, they ultimately fade. But investing in that which is eternal and everlasting. As far as I can tell, there are only two really eternal and everlasting things. The word of God and you, me, us, people, created in the image of God. What matters most, knowing God intimately through his revealed word and loving one another earnestly. Here's the deal. Peter wants us to know that one of the most significant ways that we can heal through the hard stuff and endure through the hard stuff is to give our energy and attention to that which matters most. Knowing God and knowing one another. Loving God and loving people. Now, how are we going to do it? How are we going to pull this off? Chapter 2, verse 1, so, put away. Peter's about to give us a list, y'all. How many of y'all like lists? How many of y'all need a list to get through the day and you cannot go to bed unless everything on that list is crossed off? This ain't one of those lists, okay? This list is chock full of specific sins. Sins that destroy Intimacy and relationship between one another. Put away all malice. Put away deceit. Put away hypocrisy. Put away envy. Put away slander. Peter gives us a list here. And it's no wonder that he gives us this list of sins that tear at the social fabric of the church. No wonder he gives it to us on the heels of loving one another earnestly. And let, let, me, let me do a message within a message really quick. Because Dustin didn't go into great detail last week on this love one another earnestly. You know, I, I fear that we hear that command of scripture, love one another. And we're like, yep, okay, got it, 10-4, God. But here's the deal. Peter qualifies the nature of our love by adding a word to it. He says, love one another earnestly. Your translation might say fervently. That's the same word spoken of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed earnestly. As he faced the cross and all that meant for him there. So earnestly did he pray that his sweat became as great drops of blood. This idea of earnestness, of fervently. It's a Greek word that literally means to stretch yourself out as far as you can go. Peter is saying, no, no, no. You're not just loving someone in a general way. You are loving someone intentionally and calculated. You are stretching yourself out as far as you can go to see needs, understand needs, and meet needs. 
And this is where it gets difficult, folks. Because loving one another like this, we can't do it from a distance. We can't love one another earnestly by being a mere spectator. To love one another earnestly, we need to get close to one another. We need to get involved in the lives of the saints. And that's where it gets messy. Especially in a season like this. Because real talk, some of us are struggling through this season of isolation and social distancing. Some of us just don't know how to create more margin and bandwidth in our lives. We, we don't know how to get out of the fog to see things like normal. And the closer we get to people, the closer we recognize that sometimes we're a mess. Sometimes our emotions get the best of us. Can I get an amen from all of you who wear your feelings on your sleeve? Here's the deal. We can't love one another earnestly from a distance. We need to get up close to one another. And when we get up close to one another, we're going to see that we may not agree on things. Preference of music, politics, the best place to go to lunch, how quickly or not quickly you are opening up the church. Thank you for all of your opinions, by the way. We love you. When we are living like Jesus, here's the deal. Peter is convinced that moving our eyes and our hands and our feet and our wallets off of ourselves and onto one another is one of the quickest ways that we can jumpstart the healing that we're all looking for. Why? Because the life of Jesus is always a life for others and you are never more like your maker than when you are stretching yourself out to love one another earnestly. But we got to put away malice or else you won't love earnestly. we got to put away deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. That's why Peter is giving us a list in chapter 2, verse 1. And lists like these are common in the New Testament. They are not comprehensive. They don't cover everything. Don't worry if your thing isn't on this list. I promise you if you're thinking it, it's on a list somewhere. Peter says you want to endure the hard stuff. You want to love well, you got to put away malice. Say malice. Malice is a generic word for evil deeds that result from evil hearts. Good news, in Christ, we don't have evil hearts anymore. Nor do we have evil minds. We have received a new creation heart in Christ. We have received the very mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us. I'll come back to the significance of that in a moment. But malice, malice is a strong word. But it's a, it's a junk drawer kind of term for all of the sinful actions and activity that might have marked your life before coming to Christ. Our legal system describes certain actions as being done with malicious intent. It means a desire to harm or injure. We're talking about a purposeful desire to wound and to hurt someone. And Peter says, man, we got to put that away and the language he uses here, this putting away, it's, it's to describe a person like undressing themselves, taking off their garments and putting them to the side. You know that pile of clothes that you still haven't taken to goodwill? But this garment, malice, this isn't going to be a hand-me-down for anyone. No, this goes on the burn pile because it no longer has a place in the life of Christ who has been draped with the righteousness of Christ, who has been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Malice is not to be a hand-me-down for anyone. Why? Because in Christ, we don't have an evil heart any longer, and we don't have an evil mind any longer. Here's the significance of that. Hear me very clearly. 
If you are in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ does not generate malicious thoughts. The mind of Christ does not generate thoughts towards other image bearers that tear them down, abuse them, harm them, and injure them. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we need to do the work of identifying malicious thoughts when they land in our head and we need to see them for what they are. They are offers of darkness sown by an enemy who is seeking to disrupt and destroy unity and relational harmony. Why else would Peter say love one another earnestly and then give us a list of the things that get in the way? Now, what do we do if a malicious and injurious thought lands in our head? Paul tells us what to do, 1 Corinthians 10. You take that thought captive and you hold it up to the truth of the word of God and you expose it for what it is. And we turn it over to the obedience of Christ because in Christ, those thoughts, they are foreign enemies sown by an enemy who is seeking to not only kill, steal, and destroy you, but steal kill, steal, and destroy the intimacy God desires us to have with one another. Put away malice. This doesn't mean that we're not capable of malice, but it's not who we are anymore in Christ. So we rid ourselves of any expression that could be construed as such. Put away all malice. And then Peter continues on with the list. He says, put away all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, other sins that we might find in the junk drawer of our Lives. We all got a junk drawer, right? I, I don't know what's in your junk drawer. Our junk drawer is in the kitchen, and you're going to find pens and pencils and rubber bands, half-eaten granola bars, ripped-off Barbie heads. Like, I have no idea what's in the junk drawer. But the junk drawer in your life, if you will sit down with the Spirit of God and say, oh, search me, God, the Lord will bring to light. Put away malice. And then he gives us a list of four other things that I am convinced are all expressions of malice. He gives us the whole and then the parts. Deceitfulness is born of malice. You know what deceit is? Deceit is a definite attempt to distort and to hide, to undermine the truth. It's to be tricky. It's to catch with bait. Yeah, all you fisher people out there. Every time you go fishing, you are deceiving the fish, right? You are throwing out some bait in order to hook them. What an apt picture, right? Deceit is born from malice. It's done intentionally. But deceit and hypocrisy, they go hand in hand. Hypocrisy tries to deceive people as well. Hypocrisy is acting contrary to our true identity. It's pretense. It's impersonation. A hypocrite is a man or woman who's always acting apart. They're always concealing their true motives. They always meet you with a face that's very different from their heart and with words that are always different from their true feelings and motives. You know, in, in antiquity, a hypocrite, a hypocrite was quite literally the actor on the stage who wore two faces. Put away hypocrisy. Put away deceitfulness. And then he says, put away envy and slander. And these go together like twins as well. Question, what's the primary motivation for slandering people? For saying a mean word, a hateful word, for tearing people down with your words. What's, there's a lot of different motivations, but the primary motivation, envy, jealousy, 
When we are envious and jealous of other people, we have nothing nice to say about them. And Peter's saying, put away envy. Put away slander. Put away words that tear down and disrupt harmony and destroy community. Again, no wonder Peter has given us this list on the heels of the call to love one another earnestly. Any of these in your junk drawer? They gots to go. They don't belong. And here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. These may have been a practice of yours at one time, but in Christ they don't fit any longer. They are a wardrobe that you have outgrown. Here's the good news of the gospel. In Christ we are dead to malice. I've said it already. We have a new heart and a new mind. We are dead to malicious intentions of hurting and abusing other people. And if malice is present, you got some work to do. Take those thoughts captive and invite some brothers and sisters in to help you. Text a friend and say, man, I'm really struggling with hatred towards this brother. So that I or someone else can say, but you're dead to that brother. Love that person. Love your enemy, Jesus tells us. You can do that because you have received the second mile, cheek-turning, 70 times forgiving life of Christ. We're dead to malice in Christ. In Christ, we are dead to deceit and hypocrisy. You know why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we confess Christ, guess what? The truth teller himself comes and calls us home. We are dead to telling a lie in Christ. We can't live in telling lies any longer because the truth himself dwells within us. We're dead to hypocrisy. We are dead to masking our identity in Christ for whatever reason. See, so many of us walk into a room like this looking for love instead of looking with love because we don't truly believe that our needs are being met in Christ. And so we have to wear a mask. We're dead to hypocrisy. We're dead to malice. We're dead to deceit. We're dead to envy and slander. We are dead to envy, folks, because in Christ we have an understanding of God's economy. We don't own nothing. God owns everything, right? On your best day, ladies and gentlemen, you are a steward, a steward that God has given you. Your stuff, time, treasures, and talents, and a steward will be held accountable with how they steward those things. Parents, your children are on loan, and you have been called to steward them into knowing and savoring Jesus Christ above all else. How you doing with that, Mom, Dad? My father-in-law says that envy is basically a substitution disorder. It says, I believe I can find greater happiness with something rather than the one thing I truly need, a growing intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. We're dead to envy and we're dead to slander because God has spoken a good and kind word over us. So we should speak words that are edifying and life-giving to one another. Are, Are any of these in your junk drawer? Get rid of them. Put them away. Take them off. Stop giving expression to them. They are a wardrobe that no longer fits. For you have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And dear Christ follower, you have no business wearing grave clothes any longer. 
Maybe these aren't in your junk drawer. I, I find that hard to believe, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Then here's the question you need to ask. What's in my junk drawer that I need to get rid of? And so Peter says, hey, you want to love one another earnestly? You want to endure through the hard stuff? Get rid of some things. But then he introduces the one thing that we need to possess, the one thing that we need to crave, the one thing that we need to long for. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it, that milk, you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted. Why should we crave for what he's talking about in verse 2? Verse 3, because we have tasted that the Lord is Good. This is interesting here because Peter's essentially saying that living a holy life, enduring the hard stuff, being a good Christian isn't just found in what we get rid of. It's also found in what we chase after. Perhaps you've always under, understood Christianity being about what not to do, what to take off, what to get rid of, a long, never-ending list of thou shalt nots. Peter's saying, no, 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 Christian maturity is not just what you run from, it's as much about what you run to. And Peter is saying loud and clear, get rid of some stuff and move in the direction of, put on, pursue, long, crave for the pure spiritual milk, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus has done, is doing, and will do, and everything that he is and means to us. Pure, unadulterated milk. Verse 3 says, if, if indeed you've tasted. What comes to mind when you hear the word taste? That Outback special you had the other night? That watermelon? That frosty beverage of choice after a hot day? Here's the deal. Peter isn't using this word to simply talk about describing flavors on a tongue. He's using it as a metaphor that speaks to an experience. That Outback special, chances are pretty good. You were surrounded by family and loved ones. And if nothing else, at least the ambiance that created fellowship and community. That juicy watermelon probably brings back memories of when you were a child and you were running barefoot through the cool grass, right? Watermelons were always bigger when we were kids, weren't they? Or celebrating whatever accomplishment that drove you to that frosty beverage of choice after cutting the grass or being outdoors. Here's the point. Peter is talking about tasting the goodness of God as an experience. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? We're not just recalling a flavor, but an experience. Have you tasted the goodness of God? And Peter is saying that if we truly tasted of the goodness of the Lord, gosh, then there will be a longing, a desire for us to continue growing in holiness and righteousness and hungering and thirsting after the things of God. What do you crave Christ follower. See, Peter's talking to Christians. Maybe you're not a Christian in this room. This message, it's, it's more for those who confess Christ. 
Can you imagine Peter going to someone who's not a Christian and saying, hey, these are all the things you need to stop doing and you need to start doing this and you need to confess these sins, you need to repent of that. It's going to rub folks the wrong way. It's going to offend, but, but, but. If you have indeed tasted the kindness and the lavish benevolence of Jesus and, and you have experienced the liberating freedom that comes from the cross and the resurrection and that we are dead to sin, then there should be a growing and longing desire for us to crave and hunger for the things of God. He's not calling us babies here. He's saying just like a baby craves and hungers all of the sustenance of mama's milk, we should crave and hunger the sustenance of God's word, his good news gospel. In order for us to grow up, Peter is reminding us that in order for us to endure the hard stuff and love like Jesus loves, we're going to need to be fed on the word of God. And as we'll see next week when Dustin gets back, we're going to need the word of God so that we might step into our calling as living stones building a spiritual house and as a royal priesthood called to get people to God and bring God to people. What do you hunger for? What are you hungering for? What are you craving If it's not the word of God and it's not the things of God and it's not the presence of God and you are a Christ follower, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go back to verse 1 and I need you to to look through the junk drawer. I need you to invite the spirit of God to say, Lord, search me. What do I need to get rid of out of this junk drawer? What do I need to put off? And then I pray that you will hear the voice of your heavenly father remind you that when he saved you, he already took those garments off and he clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that you would be convinced that you are who God says you are, his holy and righteous and blameless and beyond reproach son or daughter, and that you would begin to live like that. And second, if you're not hungering after the word of God, would you invite the spirit of God to begin to bring a hunger for the word? You know, we've been talking as a pastoral team about uh, doing a reading plan to read the scriptures together as a church family. Would you be interested in that? Is that something that you would want to join us as a church staff and as a pastoral team walking through the word of God together in the hopes that in doing so, God would begin to turn something that is a duty into a delight? More information will come on that. That's the right step in the right direction. Enduring the hard stuff of life, folks, we need to put away and we need to put on. We need to run from and we need to run towards And our prayer as, my prayer as a pastor is that you would hunger after God. And if you don't, here's the prayer that I want you to pray. You ready? Lord, give me the want to want to. It's a powerful prayer, y'all. Lord, give me the want to want to. I don't know how to crave and hunger your word, God. I don't know how to crave and hunger after you, Jesus. I don't know how to crave and hunger after your presence, but... I know somewhere deep down inside that it's everything that I need it to be. So, Lord, give me the want to want to. Pray with me. Father, we confess to you that we need your word. 
We are like Peter in John 6. As the crowds were departing and leaving and turning their back on you. And Jesus, you looked at Peter and you said, Peter, are you going to leave me too? And Peter told you, to where am I going to go, Lord? You have the words of life. Oh, Jesus, we confess this morning that you not only have the words of life, but you are the word of life. God, would you begin to displace all of the lesser hungers in your people's lives? Displace those lesser hungers and drive them to you. It was hunger that drove the prodigal son back to the father. Father, make us hungry for your word, for your truth, for your gospel, for your face, for your presence. And we trust that you will do this for you are faithful to complete what you began. And all God's people said.